much about how your mind works. I spend a lot of time thinking about this, reading about it, listening to podcasts about it. Uh, in particular, I find it interesting how our minds organize and connect new thoughts and information to things we already know. And then later on, we can retrieve that information um, when the context demands it, even though it's not even really something we're thinking about or it's, it's something that's in the forefront of our mind. For example, I, I if you know me, you know I, I love the Beatles. Not as much as I love Zeppelin and Steely Dan, but, but I do love the Beatles. Probably not as much as, yeah, no. Anyway, they're really up there. One time, my oldest daughter, Michaela, has this friend who also, Erin, who also, she loves Beatles. And one time she and I had an entire hour-long text conversation that was nothing but Beatles lyrics. It was like once we got rolling, I could remember lyrics that, that were songs I hadn't even heard of in years. For example, if I were to say to you, it's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog, you'd go, yeah, of course. You probably all heard that song, right? Well, please tell me. <laughs> even you, even Renee has heard that song. Okay? But if you were to say to me, it's been a hard day's night and I've been working like a dog, and I responded to you and said, I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. <laughs> you probably would be like, what? Because my bet is you probably don't know octopus garden. That's indeed later we visited overseas and came back with many controlled substances and the song got stranger and stranger. Yeah. I mean, Octopus Garden, not exactly a Beatles classic. But anyway, it's weird how your mind works, though. You know, I'm sure I hadn't heard that song in years, but there that lyric just came. Uh, my point is, I guess, Matt, is that for, for knowledge to be really useful, it has to be really embedded into us. It can't just be something that we're casual about, it can't be casual knowledge, or something you just read once and never think about again, and don't worry about it, and that sort of thing. Now remember, we're in Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians chapter 3 starts out by telling us to set our minds on things above. We're to set our minds on heavenly things. And to do that, there has to be a trade-off. And he tells us there's this trade-off. First part is we have to put to death the sinful things in our lives, the things that destroy relationships, the things that, that hurt other people and, and hurt ourselves. And of course, he lists a bunch of representative sins and that sort of thing there in the first part of Colossians 3. But we also noted that when we put off those things, nature abhors a vacuum. So we've got to replace them with something, or they'll just come and we're rushing right back. And so we're told to put on a whole other set of virtues. And we are told to put on a whole set of Christ-like virtues of kindness and love and compassion and forgiveness and those sorts of things. So he tells us we've got to do that. We need to set our minds on things above. We need to put off all the bad stuff. We need to put on the good stuff. How are we going to do that? Well, Paul's going to pull these thoughts together with the mechanism for setting our minds on things above so that we can put to death sin and put on these Christ-like virtues of kindness and patience and forgiveness and love and all that sort of stuff. He says in chapter 3, starting at verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now as we go through this passage this morning, uh, I'm going to give us four words to help us remember exactly what he's asking us to do. Does anybody remember 4-H? Is everybody a part of 4-H ever? 4-H? When I was a kid, there, there, I remember, do they still have 4-H? Yeah. Okay. You think I lived in Iowa for 30 years. You think I know that. So. But I remember when I, I had a lot of friends that were in 4-H when I was a kid. And you go to the county fair, right? They had all their projects and all that kind of stuff. But, um, we're going to borrow a bit from them. We're going to have our own four H's from Colossians. The first H is house. Verse 316, or chapter 3, verse 16, first part. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That first word is house because the word dwell here in the original is from the word house. It's the verb form of the word for house. We want to set our minds on things above. We want to put to death sin in every way and put on all the Christ likeness we can. Then we're told that God's word has to dwell in us richly. So if dwell is the idea of a house, then God, his word needs to come and take up residence. It can't come stay like just some, you know, you go to some overpriced Airbnb and hang out for a few days and release dishes in the sink and depart. Can't do that. It's got to dwell. It needs to take a permanent residence. It needs to come and it needs to fill every room and every closet and every cabinet. That's the richly part. That's the other At home, I have a really nice oil diffuser. Anybody else have an oil diffuser? My favorite oil is lemongrass. I adore the smell of lemongrass. I do not know why. But it smells so good. Right? And it doesn't take much. I put a little water in the diffuser thing, and I put a couple of three, four drops of the lemongrass oil, and it's really strong. You put more than a couple, three, four drops, and it's not like you see your taste of lemongrass. I like the smell. But pretty soon, the entire house is just filled with that clean, lemony scent. It's beautiful. I love it. See, God's word needs to become the scent of the very air we breathe. We need to become steeped in his word so much that all of a sudden, when some situation arises, some truth from God's word comes to mind. And you don't really even have to think hard about it. It just becomes your response. It becomes the aroma of everything we say and do. <clears throat> now, maybe you're sitting there and you think, oh, that's cool, Pastor, but how's that going to happen? I really am not good at memorizing things. I'm not really good at remembering things. In fact, that's what's my name? <laughs> well, sing along with me. When we've been dead Sing the 
fourth verse of Amazing Grace. Technically the fifth, because there's a third one that no one ever sang. But anyway, without even thinking about it, right? How did that happen? Repetition over time. Right? Now maybe you're there, maybe you're here this morning, you've never heard the fourth verse of Amazing Grace. And you know what? That's cool. That is good. That is no slaves in the at all. But you stick around in enough churches long enough, you'll sing the last verse of Amazing Grace in time, and pretty soon you'll be able to sing it without needing a handle in front of you. Repetition over time. And that's why I, or any pastor worth their salt, I think, will be constantly reminding us to be in the Bible as much as possible. We have to get our minds steeped in the Word of God, like my house gets filled with the smell of lemongrass when I run the diffuser. Now, of course, interestingly enough, when I run the diffuser with the lemongrass, right, that smell lasts about a day. Then the next day, I got to put the water in again, I got to put a little bit of the oil in there again, and that sort of thing, and run it again. It's never a one-time thing. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. Every day of my quiet time, I read a psalm. I will publicly admit that sometimes when I hit Psalm 119, that was my go-to for three days. Just saying. I always read a song. Whatever else I'm reading in my quiet time, doing or praying or whatever, I'm gonna, we're going to do a song. There's a prayer book in the hymn book of, of the Christ song. That means I get through the psalms a little more than about twice a year. A little more twice a year. I just want to read the psalms. Psalm 119, maybe over three days. So, you know, sometimes a year plus a few. Every year I notice that my recall of parts of the psalms gets better and better. It is repetition over time. The Bible is the objective written revelation God has given us to point us to and grow our relationship with Jesus. And it's also the means by which he helps us put sin to death and put on all the good stuff, kindness and patience and love and all the other stuff we so desperately need more of as we set our minds on things well. So my first age is house. We've got to have the word of God dwelling in every part of our spiritual house. Paul then tells us that's going to create three responses when the word is in the house. First response, excuse me, is going to be in our head. Let's go to the next part of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now our second H is head because when the word is in our house, we're going to start thinking and responding differently. Now if you remember back up in chapter 3, you got all those negative relationship-destroying sins. And I pointed out that the essence of so much sin is, is it damages and destroys relationships, right? Anger. Malice, wrath, slander, all those things destroy relationships. Well, now we have something different because he tells us that we are to come at things from wisdom. And wisdom comes from having the Word of God fill our house. When that happens, I can respond both to both positive and negative things from my house that is richly indwelled with God's Word instead of my own past habits and desires. That's normally what I respond with, right? We have habitual patterns. God's work can change those things. Teaching, when he talks about teaching here, teaching songs and that, it's not meant to be some formal, like, didactic practice that's, you know, meant for pastors and Sunday school teachers and got home. That's not the kind of teaching that we're talking about. Here, 
We're just more interested in responding to people positively with the word of God or according to the word of God. Think about it. If we're talking about something and something God's word is, talks about, what's more valuable? I give you my opinion or I give you God's truth? Now, admonishing, that word has a little more negative connotation. The idea of instructing or counseling someone to avoid something bad happens from happening. So, for example, when my mother admonishes me not to eat three of Delta's chocolate chip cookies plus an entire Boston Cream Hurts donut, 600 calories of pure deliciousness. Right? And a breakfast sandwich. It is not because she wants to spoil my morning. It is because she wants to save my pancreas. Poor little pancreas. Okay? That's kind of what we mean here. We're trying, we're trying to use the word of God to, to help ourselves and others experience not experience negative consequences. But I think the big takeaway is that when the word is in the house, then my head will be focused. I'm processing my thoughts according to God's truth. Changing my thinking, it's slow, right? It's a slow, but it's a steady paradigm shift from self to Jesus. And that's what we're looking for, is that paradigm shift away from self toward Jesus. And that requires constant refueling from the word of Jesus. Now, it's not just my thinking that God's word is going to change. It's also going to change my emotions. Look at the next part. part. Third part of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So our third H there, then, is part. Because God's word can literally change how we feel and how we respond to the world around us. Now I think that's, you know, he talks about singing, right? When we see singing in the scriptures, we tend to associate that with worship. And I think that's one of the main functions of worship. Now, if you, if you look at worship in the Psalms, it's really got three functions. The first is to glorify God, right? We worship to glorify God. It's to, to, to give him praise, to give him glory. The word itself comes from the old English word worship, to ascribe value to something or something. So we praise God and we bless Him because both His person and His work. And of course, that's the most important function, right? Bless the Lord on my soul. That's what it is. Worship also has a didactic function. If you read through the Psalms, you're often going to run into it, it'll say something, God instruct me in your ways and teach me your thoughts. Or it'll, you know, there'll be a, a song of worship, and then David will write, I will teach people to follow you, or I will teach the transgressors in the marketplace, or whatever. That sort of thing. We can learn truth through worship. And in fact, many of the older hymns we have have strong teaching elements, and many of our newer songs often teach scripture directly. So many times, if you notice, I try my best, when we're picking the scripture passages for our worship time, to set them up so that they tell you what scripture 
whatever song we're about to sing came from. Because so many of these songs are based in scripture. I remember I was in seminary a long time ago, last Monday. Um, there was a prof, and he was really getting on my, what was then modern worship. There are hymns to most of you, but they were modern worship courses at the time when I was in seminary. And he was really getting off. He was, this guy really, really loved him. He was really getting off on how much he hated modern worship. And I just started singing. As the Song is straight out of the Psalms. It's literally just that song set to music. I don't know how it gets much better than singing God's own word. Anyway, that professor and I used to do it around He usually wants it. Anyway, third function, though, of worship for our purposes here is heart change. Worship also has the effect of changing our emotional state. The number of times. I can tell you, Doug can attest to this, that I have come to band practice on a Wednesday night in a foul mood. Nope. <laughs> and we get worshiping, and you know, two songs into worshiping, I'm up here, the tears are flowing, and I'm playing. Right? And my heart is glad in Christ. I can't tell you how many times that's happened over the last 20-some-odd years. I don't know how many times after Wednesday night practice where I just walked out and thought, man, I really needed that. That was good. Psalm 122, verse 1, David says, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. He talks about going up to worship. So when the word is in the house, not only does it help us get our heads straightened out, it helps us get our heart in the right place. And often we do that through worship, which in this particular case is singing those truths in Scripture. So I would encourage you to find whatever type of worship music is your particular heart language and get more of that into your life. You get more of that in your life. Maybe it's hymns. Maybe you need to hear more hymns. I don't know. Maybe it's newer stuff. I'm going to tell you that for me, my, my particular favorite worship music, the stuff that really I relate to, is from what I call the golden age of worship. And that is like mid to late 80s to the 90s. Okay. That's back when worship music was not dominated by Bethel and Hillsong and those guys, but by Integrity and Hosanna and Maranatha. Does anybody remember those names? Yeah, those were all companies that made worship music, right? The Wild Worship stuff, Rich Mullins, Keith Green, the second Rich Mullins this morning. Right, Keith Green. Back, my own. I'm really in a bad mood. My all time never fails to pick me up is to start listening to the wild worship orange disc that came through in 2000, which compiles music from about the previous 20 years. It includes some songs you may be familiar with. Light the Fire Again, Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble, Rock of Ages, Better Is One Day, We Will Dance, Victory Chant, I Believe in Jesus, Above all, awesome God, God will make a way. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Thank you. Shine, Jesus, shine. And of course, as the deer. <laughs> They're all on there. They're all on there. Man, there's a part of that where Brian Dorkson comes on and he's saying light the fire again. And it goes right into 
The Maranatha Praise Band doing Rock of Ages. Transported to the Holy of Holies. <laughs> it is so awesome. Find that for you. Find it. Let God's word in music just, just change your heart. It'll happen, I promise. Finally, last one. If God's word is increasingly the fragrance of our house and our heads and our hearts are being transformed by scripture into Christ's likeness, then our actions are going to follow. That's the last verse, the hands. Whatever you do, and word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Hands is the fourth H, our actual actions. And Paul tells us all of them should be done for and like Jesus. When Paul says in the name of, he means representing. In the Bible, the name of someone means that it represents them. It's not much really different than what we say in English, we say on behalf of. So for example, the other day, I had to call a service provider on behalf of one of the clients that I do IT for. Because we needed to make a change in their MX records for their email. So I called the tech and I said, hi, I'm Orville Erickson. I'm calling on behalf of my client. Right? I'm calling in the name of. I'm representing that's what we're going to do. When the word is, is in our house and is transforming our heads and our hearts, the eventual result is that we're going to want our words and our deeds to match up with that, to be Christ-like. Because we realize that everything we do is representing our Lord. Now I wish, I wish that all of this happened like instantaneously. That'd be so cool. But it doesn't. But just as putting to death sin and putting on Christ-like virtues takes time, and then sometimes it feels like three steps forward and one or two steps back, right? We aren't perfect instantaneously. Well, getting our hands to align with our heads and hearts takes time. That is why we need to be constantly filling our house with the Word. You've got you to think about following Jesus as the long game, not the quick fix. The long game. You're in it for life. And only a daily, lifelong, slow but steady commitment to filling our house with God's word will transform our heads and our hearts so that every act of our hands was an action in the hands of Christ. God is slow and steady. That's what one is doing. It's time and commitment. A little bit each day. And just like with putting to death sin, remember back in that sermon, it is never too late to start. Wherever we are now, this morning, wherever we are, we can, we can start to do a little more to get a little more of Christ's word into our house. Do a little more. You can find something. I mean, no one expects you to go out. Remember I was, I was talking about Clark memorizing when he was younger all of Colossians 3. I don't expect you to go out and memorize 
I mean, it'd be cool if you did. But you could start working on a book. Or you could pick up the Bible. You could, maybe you don't have a habit of reading the Bible every day. Okay, cool. I'm not going to judge you guys. But you can start and see what happens. Give it 30 days. Right? Give it, just try it. Just 30 days. Find something you like in the Bible. Or you can pick up the Gospel of John. Read John. You can pick up almost anything. Probably don't start with Song of Solomon. <laughs> but otherwise, I would say just pick up whatever. Okay, start somewhere. It's far more important than the, the lyrics to obscure Beatles songs or anything like that. It's having God's Word deeply embedded, dwelling richly in us. Because that is, that is really the key to everything that God wants for us. Read it over and over. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Whatever it takes. Let it become the fragrance that permeates every part of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. Because your word points us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who died and rose again for us. And he is the one whom the scriptures point to. And he is the one whom we have a relationship with. And your scriptures enable that. They help us to know Jesus and to be closer to him, to know what you want and what you've done and what you will do and all of your great and precious promises and everything else that you have for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. So Father, help us let the word dwell in us richly.